Everyone has a story. You have a story, I have a story. We all have a story. And really, throughout this entire series on the optimism of grace, which concludes today, we have tried to weave our stories with the story of God from beginning to end as this story that leads us to great optimism about the grace of God. So let me just quickly, very quickly summarize where we've been, where we've been going, and then see where we'll go today. You see, in this series, we discovered that this grace is part of our origin story. That this is the starting place for every human being. The starting place for every human being is a place of grace, where God says, he looks at us and he says, very good. This beautiful gift of life from God. And he says, very good to us. Very start of us. Secondly, we found that even when we have eaten the forbidden fruit, God pursues us, right? Even when we're, even when we're walking around the garden knowing that we haven't done the right thing, God's busy chasing after us saying, hey, where are you? That's our God, that grace pursues us. We found that grace offers us new beginnings and in fact, that God wants to make us the people that we were always intended to be. He wants to make me a new Jeff. I'm the same Jeff, but he wants to make me a new kind of Jeff, and he wants to make you a new kind of person, and me a new kind of person. We found that God's great love, this love of God, is his actuating power, if you will, that helps us align our lives with him and live in devotion to him. We call that righteousness and holiness. That this love actually has called us to be created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. What a thought that is. We found that the expression of this grace finds expression and a home in the church. And in fact, we cannot know the full impact of grace without the church. We can, we can decide the church is an option, but when we do that, we're saying that it's optional whether or not fullness and grace is going to be realized by us. We cannot really realize the fullness and impact of grace without the church. And then lastly, last week, we came to the beautiful end of God's true story for all creation. We talked about setting our time zone to the future. We looked at Revelation chapter 21, and we realized that this breathtaking picture is pulling us forward and empowering us to be Revelation 20 kind of people, living those kind of lives that become a very signpost for the world that is pointing, the world God wants the world to be, pointing us in that direction. And so we have been trying to weave our story into this story, and it's been a beautiful story, hasn't it? One story that, that Henry Knight says this way, he says it's about anticipating where we pray and work with the expectancy that the love and power of God will transform hearts and lives, renew the church, and bring compassion, healing, and justice to a suffering world. That's what we believe. That's what the optimism of grace is about. Well, the storybook of the New Testament is probably the book we refer to as Acts, but it's actually known as the Acts of the Apostles. Just its title makes it sound like it's a storybook. This morning, we're going to interject ourselves probably into the most famous character in the storybook of the book of Acts, and that is the Apostle Paul. We're just going to interject at this one point in St. Paul's life, this amazing missionary and apostle, and we find... In this story, in his story, we find out what happens when someone's life is dialed into the optimism of God's grace. What happens when someone's living out the optimism of God's grace? 
So what we do to get there is we're going to go this morning, take a quick trip with me. You don't even need your passport for this one. We're going to go to modern-day western Turkey in a town called Miletus. The leaders of the church in Ephesus, which is about 50 miles north, are coming to see Paul. Paul's asked them to come and, and see him. He wants to meet with them to do one thing. He wants to say goodbye to them. He's saying farewell to them. And in the midst of his farewell, he says this in Acts chapter 20. This is the word of the Lord for us today. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I am going to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there. I only know that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. May God bless his word to our hearts today. That's part of Paul's story, and that's part of our story today. You see, Paul is making his way to Jerusalem. And what awaits him there is not inviting at all. It is known that Jerusalem is not the place that has been kind, if you will, saying that, I guess that's generously, has not been kind to prophets. It's not been kind to anyone who will upset the comfortable religious status quo that we can maintain by controlling ourselves. Anyone who comes in and upsets the religious status quo, they've not been very kind. And so Paul faces the unknown. And then he, he says this, I only know, the only thing I know, I don't know anything else, but I do know this, that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. I mean, think about that for a moment. Think about if you were on a trip and every, every rest stop someone walked up to you and said, listen, you really don't want to go down there where you're going because they're waiting for you. You need to know that on the way there's going to be people who are going to be coming after you. You need to know people are going to try to run you off the road. You need to know people are going to try to take your life. And that's what's happening with the Apostle Paul. And you know... Isn't it true? It is hard to have optimism when you face the unknown. Isn't it true? It is. It is hard to have optimism when you face trials. It is hard to have optimism when you face hardships. I want you to think about your hardships. Think about the hardships of your loved ones. Think about a cancer diagnosis. Think about a major surgery that's coming. Think about the decisions that you have to make for your future. Think about whether or not you know your, your surgery is going to be successful. All those things. Let's just talk in real terms today. Sometimes it's really hard to have optimism. But I want you to capture Paul's posture today. None of that stops him. The scripture says he is compelled by the Spirit. And what that literally means is he is bound by the Spirit. Now, not too far away, Paul is literally going to be chained to a Roman soldier. He is going to be imprisoned. But what he is saying is, is I am captive to Christ. I am captive by the Spirit. I am already a prisoner. I am a prisoner of God. Because you see now, something, someone greater has captured him than chains. 
and Roman soldiers. So Paul was, was, knew what he was going to face, but he wasn't concerned about that. That wasn't his focus. And I think the truth is, Paul was even willing to face death because Paul really had already died. Listen again to these words. I consider my worth nothing to me. We just read those. I consider my, my life worth nothing to me. He's not, he's not on some, some death march for himself. Simply, he's, he's died to himself. He, he's decided that he was not going to make life about him. He decided that he was not interested in appeasing his own preferences or his own wants. He was captive to God's spirit and his will. But here's my question. This is the question for each and every one of us. It's my question. What caused him to be held by the spirit like that? And what should cause me? What caused this to happen in his life? Because there's a cause and effect here. And I think it's true for his life, and I think it should be true for our lives. Because the reality is, the thing that held him by the Spirit was his grace story. Listen to Paul's grace story. This is how he accounted it. First Timothy, he says, Even though I was once a blasphemer and a persecutor and a violent man, he was not a nice guy. We wouldn't put Paul on the 10 most wanted people you want to have breakfast with if you were a Christian. No, he wasn't nice. Look at that. He was a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a violent man. But then I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. This is beautiful. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly along with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. I actually like the King James, which says, of who I am chief. I am the chief sinner, right? I wonder what would happen if we just decided to really humbly recognize how awful we each can be. <laughs> Because that's what happened. See, grace so hit him. He was such a bad guy. You know, he's the guy who's sitting there when they're stoning Stephen in Acts chapter 7. They look at Paul. They're getting ready to stone him. They look at Paul, and Paul's doing either this or this. And Paul goes, I'll take this guy out. That's the person who he was. But grace has so worked in his life that he was compelled by the spirits to even walk through Threats and death and hardship. When was the last time you were compelled by God's grace in your life? So compelled that you just could not help yourself in doing what God wanted. You just couldn't help yourself. It's just so natural. It's just the way, way you're wired. It's just what you became. You just said, I can't help myself from doing what would please God. He was so changed by the loving activity of God in his life, he just had to tell the story of his grace. Verse 24, my only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me. And what is the task? The task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. That theme runs throughout Acts. The people of God are the people of the story of grace. They can't help themselves. They just can't even hold it back. They say it, and they know they're going to get 
persecuted by some group. They know that they're going to be booted out of the synagogue. They know that they're going to be thrown in jail. And you would think that if they were smart, they would just be quiet. But they can't help themselves. They have to be true to who they really are. And so all through the book of Acts, listen, listen to what happens all through the book of Acts about the good news. They tell the good news of Jesus as Savior, Acts 5. The good news of God's reign and rule, his kingdom, Acts 8. The good news about the reality of Jesus, Acts 8 again. The good news of peace through Jesus, Acts 11. The good news of the promise of the resurrection, that, that new story we were talking about last week. They were really jacked about that. The good news about life change. That, listen, we could be different. They were really pumped about that. And then the good news about the actual resurrection of Jesus. They could not shut up about that. They just couldn't. And they kept getting in trouble. They kept getting in trouble in doing it. And then last one, that's Paul in Acts 17. He's in, he's in Athens talking to a bunch of people who are just all intellectual agnostics and atheists. And he just can't help talking about the resurrection of Jesus. Paul can't help himself. He has been held captive to his optimism about God working in the world because he simply cannot deny it. If he does not tell his grace story, he is not being true to himself. So what happens when grace captivates you and me? If you don't tell your grace story, will you not be true to yourself, who you really are? Or, or if, we, if we hesitate telling our grace story, is it because we're also telling by not telling who we really are? See, this is really important for us. It's a powerful thought. I'm not talking about easy beliefism that minimizes suffering or spouts out religious platitudes in the face of death and pain and disappointment or dismisses the brokenness and the evil and disease and heartache around us. You see, that's not Christianity. That's not faith. Faith isn't trying to pretend those things don't exist. Paul walks right in the middle of those things. He walks right in the middle of all of that. And yet, in the middle of that, he didn't let those things define his life. The good news of Jesus defined his life. So what would happen if we began to give thanks to God for our grace stories? Uh, the word for good news is the word gospel. It's the same word we get our word evangelism from. We get worried about the word evangelism, that we're going to have to go out on street corners and shout to people. No, 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 no. That's not at all what the Bible's idea is. It literally simply means telling good news. Here's the spirit of what it is. D.T. Niles has a famous quote, and he said this, evangelism is just one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread. Right? If you're a beggar, the best news of the day is bread. Right? If you're a beggar, the best news of the day is, can I just have something to eat? So you see, evangelism is simply this beggar right here, right, who, who found the bread. And I'm going to go, hey, surely you beggar. <laughs> Listen, I got some bread. And I, I just can't help, but, I can't help but tell you because of what it's done in my life. So what if Acts 20, 24 is not only Paul's task? Look at that verse of Scripture. What if the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace, what if that's my task? 
What if that's your task? What if we told our own grace stories, testifying to the good news of the grace of God? So this morning, we're going to have some folks come and share with us their grace stories. I'm going to ask you to come now. i got Lynn, I have Michelle, and I have... Where, where's, where's Chuck Adams? Where is that guy? Come on, Chuck, come on down here. You guys just come on down and you can find a seat down here. And these three folks have agreed to just give us three to five minutes. Now, if any of you want to... You know, if they, like, start really going on and on, just stand up. All right? <laughs> Come on, Chuck. Get over. <laughs> Get over. What makes you think I was implying anything? <laughs> Get over here. So these, these three folks, um, I've asked, they have very different stories, but they're stories of grace. And as they're going to, you're going to just hear briefly some stories of grace this morning. I want you to think about your grace story. Well, think about your grace story. Think about who you, could, you need to tell your grace story to, all right? Does anyone want to go first, or should I pick somebody? Oh, yeah. <laughs> come on, Michelle, come on up here. <laughs> go ahead, Michelle. Michelle, tell us your grace story today, what you want to share with us. Um, Do you want me to hold the microphone for you? Is it okay? No, you're good. Okay. Yeah. Um, so my grace story, you heard in my baptism, um, basically it started... Uh, back when I was going through my divorce. So um, I start there and say it was by God's grace that I was able to get out of bed and mm-hmm. function and be able to take care of my children. So I've learned from going through that um, the strength yes. that God provides because it takes a lot. Yep. <laughs> and even in those tough decisions, um, where I had to uh, actually have one of my children stay with my ex-husband because it was for his benefit. And he's doing wonderful now. But it was those decisions that, you know, God really helped me make because I don't want to give my children up. <laughs> right, right. You know, but for the benefit of him, he would have been in jail. Right. So um, I'm very thankful for that. And um, more recently, the past year and a half, I've gone through a lot of uh, health issues myself. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a surgery that was had a lot of complications where I couldn't speak, I couldn't swallow, uh, I almost choked to death. Um, my sister did the Heimlich on me, and luckily I was able <laughs> to cough it up, but um, I thank God that Amen. it wasn't worse. I'm still having some issues, but we're working through it. Amen. Good. And then... Um, the passing of my mother. Yeah. Um, it's been one of the darkest times in my life. Yeah. And to get through every day, and it, it just feels like there's a weight. I'm not going to mm. lie. Every morning I wake right. up and yep. I feel like everything just takes extra strength to yep. move, just to get out of bed. And every morning I thank God that I wake up. Amen. Praise God. And that I'm not in pain and that I do have this great life with my children. I have a great job, and yeah. I can provide. And God allows me to do this every day. So um, I, I'm just thankful that, that it, God reminds me yeah. every day that my mom would not want me to be sad <laughs> and to, to lay in bed all day feeling sorry for myself, that I do have responsibility, that I yeah. do... Um, that I, I do have worth, and that 
Um, and it's okay to feel sad. Yeah. And it's okay to be angry. Yeah. But not to stay there. Right. Right. <laughs> it is with Good. God's grace that I'm able to to push beyond that, and then be able to help other people. Right. Um, because of what I've gone through, I'm I'm able to to empathize and to offer some yes. help to other people who have come to me with with similar issues. So, I. I am thankful for that. Praise God. Amen. That's good. That's good. <laughs> you did great. Who's coming? Chuck? Ladies first. Ladies okay. first. Okay, Lynn. That's such yes. so nice of you. Lynn. A gentleman. A gentleman. Good gentleman or midst. Um, I have many, 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 <laughs> many great stories, and I'm so fortunate for that. I want to share one um, with you that has some adjuncts to it. It happened a couple weeks ago. I was leaving for work, and I got a phone call. It was from my sister. And um, she was calling me to tell me about an appointment she and her husband had had the day before. And she started by saying, you know, we spent the whole morning, part of the afternoon with the doctors, and it was 3 in the afternoon, and we decided to stop at a Whataburger's. They live in Dallas. Mm. Um, to have lunch. And as we were going to sit down, this woman motioned for us to come and sit with her. And we started towards her table, and then Gary, her husband, remembered that they'd run into each other at a secondhand shop in the summer. Didn't know her name. They just had kind of chatted in the secondhand shop. And so my sister Melanie and Gary sat down with this woman, and she asked, what are you doing having lunch at 3 in the afternoon? At which point they shared that they had just come from the doctors mm. and that Gary has been diagnosed with a very aggressive cancer that's not going to be responsive to treatment. And the woman said, would you like to go with me to meet with some people to pray for you. Wow. Wow. Which they did. And she said, we met with these people we didn't know, and yet they were part of the body <laughs> of Christ. Wow. Isn't that cool? <laughs> That's really cool. And they prayed. They anointed him with oil. Mm. And then they had communion together. <laughs> Isn't that just like the most awesome thing? So my sister says, Lynn, we needed that confirmation that God right. is in the midst of right. this situation. Right. And not only that he's in the midst of it, but he knew ahead of time in July that mm. on October 31st, mm. we were going to need this. Mm. Mm. And she said, I know God can heal Gary. I know God may not heal Gary. Right. And if he doesn't, it will be because there's a greater purpose. Mm. And I'm trying to stay in a place of peace right, right. now. Right. And I hear Gary in the background say, me too. <laughs> so for me, that was incredible grace. Right. That whole story is filled with grace. Right. Right. There are a couple adjuncts to it. That morning, I went to see a woman I see every week, and um, she had a new caregiver that I'd only met once before. 
And this caregiver started telling me about all these many losses in her life recently and how she just didn't know where God was in the midst of all this. Mm. And I said to her, it's hard. It's hard to see God sometimes. Um, You know, David has scripture where he says his bed is filled with tears because he's weeping over what's happening in his life. And then he says, but, oh, I remember you were there for this, God. You were there for this. Mm -hmm. He remembers those times when God stepped in. And she goes, yeah, but I I don't know if I have any of those. And I said, well, let me tell you about what my sister just told me this morning. And I shared that story with her, and she said, you've given me a lot to think about. I'm going to have to go home and think about those times that God's been there for me. Praise God. That was grace. Handful of days later, I'm talking to a woman that I've been talking with for a number of weeks now, and when I first met her, she said, I'm not religious. I don't do that. (laughs) And... um, when I went to talk to her this day, she said, you know, I talk in my head a lot. Maybe I'm talking to God, but there is God. Um, but I'm not sure. But, you know, sometimes I get these ideas about how to do something. I don't even know where the idea comes from. But it, like, helps me. And I said, oh, well, for me, that would be God's spirit. I think God's spirit is helping you. She said, really, do you think God does that? And I said, well, let me tell you my sister's story. (laughs) I shared the story, and by the end of our conversation, she asked me if I would bring her a Bible. Wow. Two days later, I bring her Bible. She meets me at the doorway and says, they're moving us down the hall, to the end of the hall. She's in a facility with her loved one who's dying. And I said, oh, how how did that happen? She goes, I don't know. The social worker just came to the door and said, come with me. I want to show you something. And she took me down to the end of the hall and said, what would it be like to move into this room? And she said, oh, that that would be great. And I said to her, how are you feeling about that? She goes, Lynn, I was sitting at this table talking in my head. about how much I wish we could be in a more private room, (laughs) that we could have time together, not interrupted, not with people walking by. She said, and then the social worker walked in. And I said to her, that's God. (laughs) Really? (laughs) I said, God heard you. That's great. He's trying to talk to you in your language. For me, that's grace. Amen. This is all grace. Can I tell one more story? I'm going to give briefly. You 17 briefly. and a half okay. seconds. Okay, it's brief. <laughs> so many years ago, um, I was working um, in a facility, and I had a woman come down the hallway to me, very distressed. Indian. Her mom's Indian. They're Hindu. And she said, my mom woke me up last night. She was so upset because she had this dream. And in this dream, she heard this voice. And this voice said to her, you've been praying to a lot of gods, Mm. but not to me. And I am the one true God. And my mom said, I don't know who that is, 
I don't know how to find him. And I said to her, don't worry about it, Mom. We'll, we'll talk to somebody in the morning. And she said, but my mom's not waking up now. She's not waking up, and I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help her. And I said to her, just go sit beside her bed and talk to the God that came to her in the dream. Right. Tell him she wants to know you. She doesn't know how to find you. But please, find her. So my faith was a little bit more shaky back then, and I'm like, oh, I'm hoping this is going to work. <laughs> but a number of years later, I read a book. Many of you probably read it. It's a fictional book, The Shack. And there's a line in there that I've held on to. The main character says to Jesus, so there are lots of roads to you. And Jesus says, no, there's only one. But I will find you on that road. Mm. That's grace. Praise God. Thank you, Lynn. That's good. That's good. <laughs> Come on, brother. Come on up here. No throwing things. No throwing things. I love this uh, guy. Go ahead. This, you are grace to me, every one of you. I wouldn't have cried years ago if you tried to kill me or torture me. That's how tight I was. I thought I was a Christian. Uh, my family's been through a lot, but I gotta tell you this part real quick. My wife was 18 years old, and I had just got back from four years in the military, and she was graduating high school. My family was broken. And I said to her, I wanna marry you, but if any time down the line you think that this is no good, stop now. January 9th, 60 years. <laughs> that now there's a, there's a thing. That's God's grace because I didn't know what I was doing. I mean, I come from a broken <laughs> home. I, I love people. But I have had that continuous grace every time I turn around. I get into trouble, I get out. I've had a heart attack. I've had heart surgery. This guy almost gave me another one, bending over me at the place, praying for me. <laughs> and I woke up, and there he is. You know, I mean, uh, I thought I was going home. Uh, but the grace I've had because of being a, a, a child of God is when I went in there, I was so cool, you wouldn't believe it. I told my wife, I said, I'm either going home or going home. Right. It was that simple to me. I could hear my daughter, my son and my wife talking and going up to the higher hospital. It didn't bother me at all. And that is not me. <laughs> Most of the time I'd be kicking doors open and anything trying to get out of there. But you are the grace. You, you got to look at it that way. Here you are the grace. You're the grace that says to him, we're with you. Right. No matter how bad it gets, we're with you. Right. We're you, Jan, too, because your road's going to be tough, too. And I know, because my wife's got a tough road right now. My son's had a heart surgery. I just had a 22-year-old great niece. Week before, had, had her... Um, Engagement. engagement party, and the next week she died. But that's not the part. Her folks said, the hearts are breaking, the love is strong, but isn't God good? Now you talk about faith, talk about grace. That's more than I got. Mm. So I love you guys. I could tell you a thousand one stories, but he'd shoot me, and I don't <laughs> blame him. But most of all, God bless you. You are special from the youngest to the oldest. You're a purpose here and in my life, and I thank you for it.
Amen. <laughs> if you remember, we defined grace at the start of the series as the loving activity of God in the world. And what you heard was stories of the loving activity of God in the world. So maybe, maybe you can find some time this week to tell your grace story. And, and so what if, we, what if we decided that that's what we're going to do? And what if we decided we're going to start practicing here? Setting aside, you know, our criticisms, our complaints, our challenges, our heart. And what if you started walking up to one another here? What if, what if we stopped talking about the Patriots and the Yankees? What if we stopped talking about the stock market and the meat market? What if we stopped talking about the latest app and the latest Facebook post? What if we stopped talking about all that stuff that means nothing? And what if we started walking up to each other and just saying, let me tell you my grace story. If you don't have anyone to tell your grace story to, tell me. Encourage me with that. Tell me your grace story. I've been talking my grace story through this whole series. I've given testimony through this whole series. Why don't you come seek me out, shoot me an email, tell me your grace story. Because those are the stories that change everything. I'm going to ask our worship team and our pastors to come. Pastor Shirley is going to come. As we conclude this series, the invitation to all of us is to live our grace story. And through this series, we have gathered around the table. And the invitation to this table is for everyone who will embrace the story of Jesus and follow him. Everyone is invited to this table and to this life from him. The life that becomes the story of what this loving activity of God in the world and in our lives can and will do. A story about what the optimism of grace really does, what it really looks like. And so today, I want to invite you to the table of the Lord to declare your faith in Jesus and your desire for your life to become a story of his grace. We're going to have two stations here this morning in this service. We would invite you to come, receive the sacrament through intinction by dipping the bread in and then partaking as soon as you get, as soon as you get the bread. And then, uh, and then we're going to close our service together. But I invite you to stand this morning um, with us as we come to the table of the Lord. And I invite you to bring your grace story to the table. Remember your grace story. And I invite you today to declare your faith in Jesus as you come to the table, as we partake together. Let us come to the table of the Lord. I invite you to stand with me this morning. As we go from this place today, let us live his grace story for our lives. And let us reveal to the world what we've declared today, that the loving activity of God is active in the world and in our lives. Amen? Amen. Let us go pee, be the people of God's grace story. In the name of Jesus, amen. Greet one another in the name of Jesus. No talking about the Patriots or the Yankees today. God bless you. You're dismissed.